Hey there, it's Nikki Klosser, and I want to let you know about an awesome free giveaway for people on our email list. If you haven't already, click the link in our podcast description or go to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up to get on the list. If you sign up, you'll get a free Posing 101 PDF to jumpstart things. It's an epic PDF, so you'll definitely want to get this. Also, just by being in our email community, you'll get deals, sales, and information about any of our upcoming events and activities. So head over to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up and sign up today. You're listening to the Portrait System Podcast. I was networking like crazy, which everyone should do. Meeting people, writing them, being nice and finding out how can I serve what they need, not just what I need. It's all fine and well to say, hey, networking isn't you going around telling people what you want them to hire you for. It's finding out what they need and providing it. This is the Portrait System Podcast, a show that helps portrait photographers and people hoping to become one navigate the world of photography, business, money, and so much more. We totally keep it real. We share stories about the incredible ups and the very difficult downs when running a photography business. I'm your host, Nikki Klosser, and the point of this podcast is for you to learn actionable steps that you can take to grow your own business and also to feel inspired and empowered by the stories you hear. Today's guest is Felix Kunz, and if you don't know Felix yet, he is someone who I highly recommend following and listening to. He is not only a master at lighting and teaching lighting in a really simple way, but he's just a really wise person with so much incredible advice to give. During this episode, Felix shares his journey from leaving a desk job to photographing everything from fashion to projects for National Geographic, and he created the lighting series for our Portrait Master store, and it is the best lighting course I've ever watched. Chatting with Felix is always so good for the soul, and I'm so excited to share this interview with you. Please enjoy Felix Kunz. Hey, Felix. Welcome to the Portrait System Podcast. How are you? Hi, Nikki. I'm so happy to be here. I know. I get to talk to you twice in like within a week. It's really, really exciting for me. <laughs> yeah. For everyone listening, we were, were recording this when in October. Mm-hmm. And we did a little, as part of the 12-week startup program, we did a little lighting segment. Yeah, yeah. So if if you're a member of Subray's Education, you can hear our little talk all about lighting and Felix answers tons of questions. People ask live questions and it was really good. It was a really good segment. I was so happy to have you on because I feel like you're the master of lighting. So they say. <laughs> but okay, so I guess my, my first question to you is, were you always the master of lighting or were you always this great of a photographer? So I think you go right into the theme of what I kind of tell like young photographers and what I've been banging on about for the last few like months, something I realized is I started very early on in England where it's always overcast. Mm-hmm. And all I wanted to do was to add a little bit of light into that eye cave. You know, if you're shooting an overcast light, you know that like the eyebrow area, like the bone underneath the eyebrows casts a shadow on the eyes and yep. it gives your subjects panda eyes. So I started adding artificial light just as a way to solve that And I very quickly realized that I kind of was the only person doing that. Everyone had done this thing where they were using a circular reflector, you know, or like a white piece of card to bounce light back. But then I realized that that lights up the chin. And if you have someone with a double chin or like no client has ever asked me to put more light on the chin. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, if they're not holding it in the proper way, that is absolutely going to light the chin. Yeah. And when I didn't know what I was doing, I was holding it in the improper way. And then I had light on the chin and I thought, right, I'm just going to use artificial light. And a friend of mine found out his 
dad actually found out I was starting to take photography more seriously. And he sold me this very, very old, very, very crappy light for like $80. And that was the first light I used for years. And I made it work with that. And I just thought, right. Wait, so, wait, wait. You said you used that light for years? Yes, years. I mean, that is huge right there because I think people think they need the best gear and the most expensive stuff. And they see, you know, like, I guess, quote unquote, popular photographers, successful photographers using all this expensive equipment. But if you use a cheap $80 light for years, I mean, that just goes to show you don't always need the best gear. Yeah. And there's a very easy thought experiment that tells you this, which is, any photographer sitting there thinking, right, I need the gear to make my life work. If you got all the gear you wanted on your wish list, would you then be able to do it? And most people, Good question. the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, there's so much. It's like driving your first car. You're not going to, the likelihood of you messing it up in your first car is very high. So you don't start <laughs> with a Ferrari. Right. It's right? true. It's true. Yeah. Okay. So when you first, you know, started with, just even this $80 light, like, were you a photographer at that point? Or were you just playing around with photos? It was at your job? Has it always been your job? Like, I was working full time at the time at a desk job that I wasn't enjoying particularly. Ah, And photography was really on the side. And it was actually the financial crisis in 2008 that sealed the deal for my job. I lost that job. And then I ended up traveling around the world I went to India, Australia, LA, a bunch of places just to, oh, and Dubai. And I'm just taking pictures of no value. Nikki, I really don't use those pictures anymore. Yeah. But I ended up writing all the magazines that I could find contact details for. And one of them actually picked up a picture that I took in India and used it as the cover of their yearly calendar. And I thought, right, that's it. I'm going to be a professional photographer. I just licensed an image for 200 whole pounds. <laughs> That'll feed me for about three days. Um, that's awesome. And the short way of, as I say it, is, and then I produced nothing of value for years. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, that's funny that you bring up the whole travel thing, because that that's really what turned me on to photography. I mean, I took a class in high school, but it was a darkroom class learning how to develop film and that sort of thing. But I never really thought I could do photography for a career. It just didn't even occur to me. And I used to travel when I was a social worker. It, that's what I would do in the summer. I would always take a trip somewhere. Like to, I went to Nepal or Cambodia or like all these crazy places. And I didn't have a DSLR at the time, but I thought I was like the jam with my point and shoot. Like I thought I was so good and I loved it. Like that was my favorite part of traveling was photography, but it still didn't occur to me that I could have a career. So I love that you at least like... <laughs> realized early on that it could be a career for you. And I wonder if you have the same feeling, but there's important lessons for portrait photography when you're traveling, which is you might be, let's say you're in a town with a couple of thousand people, you know pretty much everybody, and they all seem mundane to you. So I know that it feels like, oh, there's no interesting subjects. But when you go to a town in India or Nepal that also has a couple thousand people, they are mundane to each other. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But to us, they're super, super interesting. <laughs> so so true. travel really taught me that it doesn't matter what you shoot where, it's interesting to someone else in a different place. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true. Okay, so so you got this magazine cover and you're like, I'm gonna do this, and you just from there, you know, how did you start getting shoots and gigs and stuff? God, yeah. You asked the first question you asked me is how did I get into lighting? And when I I wanted to say one other thing about that, sure. which is what I realized really quickly 
is the lighting came after all this travel, right? Like it was as I was trying to get more jobs and trying to see. And what I was seeing is at the time in the UK, 2008, 2009, photography was the new big thing. And Canon had just put out, I think, the 50mm 1.2 lens. Okay. And it had like a real look. It was that Tumblr look. And people were photographing with it and it was beautiful. But if everyone is doing something then where am I going to find my unique place in that area, you know, in that world? Right. So I rejected the idea of getting the Canon 51.2 because I, how do I make my work stand out from the rest? And that's really how I got into lighting. So I thought about it very much in terms of economics mm. from the very beginning. I have to have a unique selling point here. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. And I don't hear that very often of someone saying, you know what, I don't want to look like the rest. I totally want to do this differently, where I think a lot of people just don't really want to recreate the wheel, which I know I certainly didn't. I just don't have that sort of creative gene where I want to try, you know, be like innovative or whatever, where you seem like you have that. Like, how can I? Well, I will counter you and say that's absolutely not true, Nikki. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know if anyone go and look at Nikki Klaus's work because you will see that's not true. Uh, well, thank you. But 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 truly, like I I wasn't re- recreating the wheel. I was just learning and kind of doing things how I was taught. Where you seem to have that, you're like, screw that. I'm going to figure out a different way because I want to stand out, and I love that. Mm. Yeah, I. There was a moment a bunch of friends and I went to Annie Leibovitz's exhibition at the National Portrait Gallery. God, I think it was, I don't, I don't remember what year, but it's definitely in the last, uh, longer than a decade ago. And I remember walking away from that and just thinking, I was elated because it was so inspiring, but also utterly crushed because I knew I could never get there. Mm. That's how it felt, you know. And that was a really pivotal moment for me because it kind of set the, the standard for I had seen her work here and there, like I knew the Vogue and Vanity Fair covers, but seeing that exhibition, it just gave such depth. Like there was a very simple portrait she did of Colin Powell, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it was powerful in its simplicity. And I never really seen that before, you know. So, yeah, yeah like those early influences, I, I was then uh, sort of following Maritestino, Irving Penn. I read Annie's book at work, and she mentions about uh, Richard Avedon. And I started looking at those guys and try to take lessons from them. And, you know, lighting was invented because film wasn't good enough to take images in low light. Like now we can photograph beautiful portraits with natural light by a window. But cameras and film didn't used to be very good at that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I want to do, I do want to say, though, is obviously, even if you are innovative, obviously you still get inspiration from from different places. And and I, I don't mean to say that it's wrong or right to try and, you know, just do things the way someone teaches you or to try to do something new. Like neither one is wrong or right. It just is how it, how it works. But right. it seems like regardless of how you do it, you're always taking inspiration. Like clearly these yeah. photographers have inspired you just like they've inspired, you know, millions of people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And what, you, what you're saying about being innovative, I guess, back to my point of like looking at it as an economic proposition, like you have this inspiration, you want to create amazing work, but you also have to feed yourself, right? So that was my big problem because yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't come from money. I, you know, I, I'm from a small town in England. So I was running around doing fashion, shooting fashion weeks and trying to get any opportunity I could. I was networking like crazy, which everyone should do, mm-hmm. meeting people, writing them, being nice and finding out how can I serve what they need, not just what I need. It's mm-hmm. all fine and well to say, hey, networking isn't 
you going around telling people what you want them to hire you for.、Mm-hmm. It's finding out what they need and providing it. You know, and it took me a while to learn that. And in London, and I started to do all right in London. I shot for Yahoo. I did a shoot for Swarovski of the architect Zaha Hadid. I had an assignment with Adidas. I was shooting for Getty Images, and again, like going back to the economics, I started realizing that it's all fine and well, but the economics of it weren't adding up. I was still having trouble. You know, I I wasn't affluent. Right, you know? right.、And、I wanted to get there, and I thought, and there was this big moment that happened where I had worked with a media company, and they had sent me on assignments, and then. They asked me if I would work on the Olympics, and I said, "Of course, that's my dream. Like I've wanted this the whole time. In fact, I had been working with this media company because I knew they would get involved in the Olympics." Wow! And then the fee they gave me, they proposed to me, was so absolutely dreadful. And I had this moment of clarity where I thought, "Right, this is the pinnacle of this line of work. Right, you get to cover the Olympics." That's the pinnacle. It's like doing a job for Vogue,、mm-hmm. and I understand the economics of it a little bit better now. But if I'm getting this dreadful day rate for the pinnacle, where else am I going to go for to actually have an affluent life? Right. Wow. And I turned them down, and I, I remember very clearly, I turned them down because I just had to be integrous to myself. I couldn't say yes because I felt it was such an affront. And I remember I went out. I put my running clothes on and I went outside and I just cried. And it really was like, I don't know. I think a lot of people who are starting out they have these kind of experiences where they think something is an opportunity, but they feel like it's not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that I listened to that、yes. because it, saying no was for me such a huge driver of getting in front of the right kind of people. It's something that's really difficult and. I don't know. Like I'm not saying I was some sort of hero for turning it down, and I don't know what was going through my head because on paper I should have just said yes.、Um, to make a long story short, what ended up happening is me and my mom we got tickets for one of the events at the Olympics. We went along, and I was so inspired by the volunteers that were working at the Olympics. They're called the Games Makers.、Mm-hmm. That I said, right, I'm doing a portrait project on them. And so I found out where they were based, and I just stood myself on the road, and I offered any of them a free portrait. I ended up photographing seven hundred of these Olympic volunteers, and I got invited by the London Organising Committee for the Olympic Games into the Olympic Park. So we had a front row seat, and it, it's better than I would have ever gotten、wow. with that media organisation. And that's like a lesson that I always try to remind myself of when I have to turn down an opportunity. You know, one door closes, and a huge door opens. You just figure something out、mm-hmm. with a couple of days、mm-hmm. of crying and feeling very <laughs> depressed in between. You know, I love I love that you did that, and it just goes to show that you know I, I feel like everyone has that moment when they have really have to value themselves. And clearly, Sue teaches so much about value and self value. And if you don't、oh, yeah. have that, and if you don't work towards that, I mean, it's it really is everything. And and this this is just another really. Like impressive example of how that works and turning something down like that. I imagine that was so so hard, but it's like you knew it was the right thing to do, even though it was so hard. Like it, that instinct and that intuition and just that, like you said, keeping the integrity for your of yourself. God, that's so、mm-hmm. powerful. It's so powerful. I mean, it's setting those kind of principles for yourself early on and listening to yourself has been so much more important than. I ever could imagine.、Mm-hmm. If I had to tell someone that's starting out, what's the biggest piece of advice is listen to yourself. 
Yes. You know, there's so much intuition that people reject or even if you're watching my class and you go, oh, I don't want to do it this way. You have every right not to do it that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, you have to do something that's right for yourself. Right. Um, For sure. Yeah, that's such a huge. You know, and I don't think it's like we're not telling people out there if you need to feed your family, like don't turn down jobs you know it's like no exactly it's like and that's the nikki that's exactly the point about this job it wouldn't have fed my at the time non in like i didn't i don't have children it wouldn't have fed my family if i had a family Mm -hmm. you know and that's why i turn it down but of course money jobs are going to be money jobs right this wasn't either you know right I feel like there's a balance there. Like, sometimes you have to take the jobs that you don't necessarily want or it's not quite as high paying as you want. But in the meantime, be doing the work to raise your prices and get it up. Like, one of the the people I interviewed, Emma Burkasal, I think she's episode 26. She, just to sum it up really quickly, there was a shoot. This woman said she couldn't afford it. It was like $75. And she asked Emma if she could do it for $50. And Emma was just like sick to herself. And she said yes. And she showed up to the shoot. Her husband had a driver because they only had one car. She didn't have a driver's license because she was from, she's from the Ukraine. And at the time, she didn't know how to drive. And they were like, the kids were dressed to the nine in these designer clothes. And, you know, it was just, it, she felt so terrible. And that was her pivotal moment. That, like, I'm never going to put myself through this again. It's like everyone has their moment, whether it's turning down a job for the Olympics because they're not paying you what you should be paid or, you know, a client who just – and, again, it wasn't this client's fault. Emma chose to say yes to the $50, but she knew that that was her moment. And Mm. ever since then, she has, like, turned it around. Now she has, like, a $2,000 average sale or something. So it's like – Yeah, there is a balance, yeah. Yeah, regardless of where you're at and – in, in in your career or whatever, if you've got to have that shift for yourself to find that self-value or it's just you're never going to move forward. That actually reminds me of another thing that I used to do. This is good because like I like I don't love digging, but I this is interesting. I remember because I had my mom was like is such, you know, everyone's mom is such pivotal and she's a huge part of my early career. She would find like somehow connections she had an actress that would put on workshops. And I remember she, the actress wanted to support me. And I said, look, I'll do it, but just pay me something. I'll just take some pictures behind the scenes. And I was not a good photographer at this point, but I said, just pay me something. I want to do it, but I just don't want to go into my career doing all free work. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's different if you're building your portfolio. Like right. I've learned how Justin and uh, Sue, like the, you know, she talks about building your portfolio, and I think, oh, it makes so much sense. You get the right kind of people. Right. But I remember early on, it was just about the principle of it. You know, the principle wasn't, I need to get paid a lot. I just wanted people to value what I was doing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so from here, were you still, like, once you turned on the Olympics, you had that moment, you photographed all these people doing the networking, which I want to come back to. I want to talk a little bit more about networking and how you regardless of what phase of your photography career you're at, you still need a network. But where did you go from there? Like photographing all these these Olympic volunteers, what happened next? So I had met through a friend, a girl who was uh, worked in media in London. And then I was running around doing this, that, the other thing, trying to get in in London with mixed success. And then the earthquake happened in Haiti. And I mm. thought about, I should go and photograph there because I had some people that I knew who had been going to help with the relief efforts. 
And I remember her just saying, you should just go, just go. And I had quibbled around with it. Should I go? Should I not? Is it going to be dangerous? Da, da, da. And she just said, just go. You won't regret it. And I had been talking online with our very own Lara Jade. Mm-hmm. We'd never met, but we kind of struck up a friendship on Twitter. And I was introduced to her by Lindsay Adler, who at the time uh, we had uh, struck up a friendship online. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this was 10 years ago at least. And I went to Haiti and that was fine. And I learned on that trip that I was not going to be a photojournalist (laughs) because I was on the back of this motorcycle with a guy from the New York Times um, who was also a young photographer kind of getting his break and me on the back, like you could put two people on the back of a motorcycle taxi there. And we're riding along and we hear gunshots in the distance. This guy's name was Mike. Mike runs towards the gunshots, I get off the motorbike and run the other direction (laughs) (laughs) as fast as I can. I'd be with you. I'm like, get me out. Yep. That's funny. I learned, okay, I'm not going to be a photojournalist. So after, I I remember being in Haiti and I just said, I have to get back to New York. I'd never been to New York properly. And Lara Jade happened to be in New York that very day. And so we had dinner and we hit it off. And over the years... Like I described networking, like you need to meet a thousand people so that you can just meet the one who gives you all mm-hmm. the right connections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's always going to be a numbers game. And she introduced me, uh, she actually is the one that introduced me to Sue Bryce. So I jumped from Lindsay Adler to Lara Jade to Sue Bryce. And here we are. Yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of the biggest lesson I've learned from networking is you have to meet so many people because they'll introduce you to other people and eventually you find an opportunity. I mean, what is luck is when preparation and opportunity meet, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something you said earlier that I really loved is it's not about running around telling people what you do. It's how can I service them? You know, what can I do f- for them that will, you know, in turn make them interested in you or, you know, it's making it all about them. And I, and I love that you said that because that is like whether you are talking with some of the most successful photographers in the world, or you're at a networking meeting in like Plymouth, Michigan in this small town, you know, it is mm-hmm. all the same. It, it really is. Yeah. You know, I don't know if anyone else does this, but like my parents always used to be like, the world doesn't revolve around you. Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. yes I say that I to know. my kid, my son, <laughs> yeah, man, right, I'm like, man, it's not always about you. Make dude. sure he does not listen to this <laughs> podcast because he'll have the perfect retort, which is, Yes, but mine does. Mm. My world revolves around me, and I'm not ashamed to admit it because that's true for every single human being walking this planet, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? They are primarily concerned with their own lives and that of their family. Yeah. That's not necessarily a bad thing. What that means is think about when someone comes up to you and just tells you what they want from you. That's not a great experience for anyone. Mm -mm. If someone comes up to you and tells you, hey, how can I help you achieve what you need to achieve? You go, oh my God, this person's great. Mm-hmm. You know, I use the example, I get photo assistants, people who want to assist me on jobs and they email me and they tell me what they want. And I, I'm like, I just look for the guys that tell me what they can do for me if they come on set. Yeah. You know, yeah. If I, I get it. You want to come on set and, and uh, uh, have me explain lighting to you. Well, then you should probably just take my lighting series class. But if you want to come on set, and help make a better shoot because you know that that's also going to help you, that's a much better approach. And I find that Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, is, 
I think, the best book for networking. Mm-hmm. It really mm-hmm. works. And I still haven't read that. I need to do that. I got to put that on my Audible list. Yeah, it's actually quite good. I, I actually read it, reread it a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, I need to do that. I get I get people who will say, and, and again, it's, I'm not saying that, you know, this is bad or whatever, but they'll say, you know, send me an email or on social media or something like, oh, can I come, I, I really want to come shadow you in your studio or just come see your studio. And I'm thinking like, gosh, I hardly have enough time to like brush my teeth in, in the morning and to get out the door with my kids and my see, make time for my friends and my family. I'm like, oh, and now I have to make time for you to come see my studio. You know, it's like. <laughs> I always it, get the idea like, <laughs> Are you just going to sit there in the corner awkwardly watching me? <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. I mean, sometimes people will say, like, can I assist you or whatever? And I have to explain that it's just not it's not fair to my clients for me to be in a teaching situation or someone who's not used to being there. Like, that's just not how I run my studio. But, right, but right. if, like you said, if, if someone reaches out to you in a way that's it really, what, how is this going to help me? And I know that sounds, I don't mean to sound selfish about it, but... Gosh, like let's not beat around the bush. That's yeah. I don't think, I don't think admitting that your own needs are more important than the needs of others is necessarily selfish. Selfishness is harming others because your needs are more important than the collective good, and that's Mm, a very mm -hmm. uh, important Mm -hmm. distinction to make. You know, I'm not into social climbing or stepping on other people on the way up. Like that's not what it's about. Because right. If we rise, we can bring other people with us, you know? Yes. Yes, for sure. But yeah, sure. I, I think it's just a very good thing to think about when you're networking. You're not 24 hours a day running a charity when you're trying to network, but you do want to think about what the other person needs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Especially when you're still building your business and you're looking to get your name out there. Yeah. And, you know, now that, you know, I have a successful photography business, of course, I'm always still looking you know, for new clients and just different networking opportunities and that sort of thing. But I don't feel as much now to like offer a trade or to offer to shoot someone for free no. in exchange for, you know, talking about me or whatever. But at the beginning, that was so, so, so crucial for building my business, for sure. Absolutely. And think about what sales is, right? If you have a client, what you want from them is for them to hire you. If they don't want from you to make good pictures of them, you can't make a sale. Mm-hmm. Both ends of that are, if you get really technical, essentially a selfish proposition. Mm-hmm. But if those two things match up, then you can make something really amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I love looking at it that way. You will get better at sales if you put yourself into the shoes of what do my clients want instead of what do I want from my clients. If, because if you can satisfy what your clients want, you'll make money. Mm-hmm. It's so true. It's so true. If I love that. I yeah. feel like we need to, to save that. Like, if you can satisfy what your clients want, you're going to make money. Yeah. I learned that from the great Craig Swanson. <laughs> See? Yep. And for those of you out there who don't know who Craig is, Craig was the founder of Creative Live and who is also one of the founders of Subrice Education. Yeah. I love that. So as far as now, like, what's your favorite type of work to do or shoots to do or, what you know, and, and I know you're in New York now, so kind of just tell us about what you're up to now. I mean, let's just skip past 2020, but um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> what I've been focusing on the last couple of years is I realized that we have a little bit of an issue with mistrust of science and I wanted to put a human face to those who are pushing the world forward through science exploration conservation and environmentalism. So Mm -hmm. I've been focusing my personal work 
on those kind of people. So I recently got to photograph eight of the 11 surviving Apollo astronauts, including Buzz Aldrin. And Wow, I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah, um, that was actually 20, March 2019, which is probably exactly like encapsulates where I want to go with my work. You know, I got to photograph climate activist Greta Thunberg. I've been involved with a bunch of the youth activists here in New York, giving them I just had them in for a portrait session and gave them free pictures because I felt like they should be supported. But I've been photographing um, marine biologists, geologists, archaeologists, all those kind of people that are really, I feel, is the people we should put on a pedestal in society. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to elevate explorers to the level of celebrity through pictures. And also, you know, reading scientific doom and gloom about the climate it feels very detached from a real person, but there are real, huge amounts of real, genuine, wonderful people doing the work, you know. And I got to go on a National Geographic Society expedition to Mongolia in 2018 with a group of geologists, for example. We were studying a mass extinction that happened 365 million years ago. And what I love about where I've built my career to is that I get to go with world-class geologists to Mongolia. And for three weeks, we were camping in the middle of absolutely nowhere, this beautiful place where the Altai Mountains and the Gobi Desert meet. And I got to ask them all the questions I ever wanted to ask about geology. And I kind of got a conceptual understanding of the work we were doing, which means I can spend three weeks learning that instead of getting a PhD in geology. Yes. Which my interest doesn't (gasps) extend that far. But what a gift, you know, to be able to spend, like, get a little bit of a grasp on it. And then the same thing happened in January 2019 with, I went with Yale University to um, Egypt on an archaeological project there. And a similar idea, you know, I get, I was there for 10 days, get to ask some of the top Egyptologists all the questions I've ever wanted to to know, get to take a lot of photographs and learn something about, deeply about a subject that I wouldn't have the time to study fully. So that's kind of where I've been going with my personal work. And yeah, I'm going to carry on as soon as the world comes back to some sort of semblance of normality. Yeah. What a dream come true. I'm, I've seen all your photos, like the Mongolia and photos from Egypt. And just, it's what a dream come true to work with National Geographic. I mean, that's just amazing. Amazing. So cool that you've gotten to do that. I, just, I love it. I still pinch myself. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's just... To me, that's the pinnacle, to be able to travel and and photograph for National Geographic. That's like next level. It's incredible, Felix. And clearly you deserved it and you worked for it. And and your work is just, if if you haven't seen Felix's, you know, this sort of work that he does, check out his Instagram. It's just, it's so beautiful. Thanks. I love it. Okay, so speaking of lighting, you had said earlier, you know, if people just want to learn lighting in your studio, like they can take your lighting course because you have a couple really amazing ones. And I know we have two of them for sale in our Portrait Masters store. Yeah. Tell us about those. You have one that's the lighting, the location lighting series, and then the lighting series. Tell me a little bit about them. That's right. So the first class we made and is the lighting series, which is for anyone that has a space, a studio space. It doesn't have to be a studio, but it can be any space that you shoot in inside. It's a class of 10 segments that takes you one by one through how to light for portrait photography. Sue and I made this class in 2017 at the very beginning of the Portrait Masters when everything was just starting out. And we were just like, let's see, I'm just going to tell people what I do. And we thought about very much about how to make it so that it's not like a bunch of 
difficult words or I tell anyone that they have to be a math wizard to <laughs> understand lighting. None of that. I, I always found lighting, once I really understood it, I found it very intuitive and I wanted to find a way to convey that. And, you know, 12,000 students later, I think we've done it. Yeah, yeah. I see students' work just go from, you know, that studio look where it really looks like it was photographed in the studio to where it's indistinguishable from natural light. So for portrait photographers, you're trying to get really soft, beautiful, flattering light for your clients. They will always want that. Like, you have to focus on what that's never going to change. They always want to look good in flattering light. And so the lighting series is the class for people who don't want to learn from nerds. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's no difficult words, no mathematics, no ratios. Like, you can see the light if it's good or not, you know? And I think it's the first class that really allows people to just take pictures and learn lighting without a math degree. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. You're such a... It, it's so simple, the way you teach. It's like... It's funny, the way you just described, like, with people talking about math equations and angles and this and that, I failed geometry. It's the only class that I've ever failed in my life was geometry. My brain just didn't, I don't know, just didn't work out. So as soon as I watched you start teaching, I was like, yes, like it's just so simple and it just mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. I mean, one of the, the things I've always said is you have a window, people who shoot natural light, just put the light where the window is. And mm -hmm. if you observe mm -hmm. where the light is going, you can do so much with just that. But I don't want to, you know, you can't sell ice cream if you're giving away the ice cream truck. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, <laughs> so what about, what's different then for the location lighting series? Because I know you have that one too. Okay, yes. Thank you for leading me there. The location series we made after, because I started shooting, and I've actually always shot on location which means outside of the studio. So you're going and you're now you're dealing with mixing ambient light with artificial light. And again, that's where you can really get into ratio land and lots of people can talk down to you when you're learning, as they did to me when I was learning. And I thought I could never get it. So I teach a class on how to shoot outside of your studio. So whether you're at someone's house and there's natural light coming in, or there's also many, many tricks for how to shoot with natural light if you're shooting at your studio. And a lot of, a lot of people like to shoot in their garages. And I found like so many easy and beautiful ways to make really nice light in your garage. Or going to the beach and shooting in sunlight. So we cover a variety of scenarios that you encounter on location. Now, the way both of these classes are structured is we kind of trick you because let's say, let's for, use the example, for example, we have a segment on hard sun, shooting in hard sun. Yeah, I'm going to teach you how to shoot in hard sun. But through that, you're actually learning a principle that applies also for shooting in your studio using ambient light. So when we made the class, and I don't think anyone is aware of how we did this, Nikki, but I set out like the things I wanted to teach. Like, let's say I wanted to teach 10 different methods that I felt like were very, very basic for someone to understand that then we found scenarios in which I could teach those. So you, when you watch the class, you don't even realize that I'm building you these foundation blocks that don't have to do with lighting diagrams. They have to do with you understanding how to actually light. So instead of giving you the recipe, I teach you how to actually cook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such an like intuitive way to learn. It's it's just I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, it, you you suddenly realize that lighting clicks for you. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if anyone listening is in any doubt whatsoever, go to thelightingseries.com and just read the reviews. Because it's every time I do that myself, I did not set out to make the best, you know, this class the way it's been reviewed. I didn't even know that it was going to work, that people were going to take this stuff and, and run with it. But the reviews are so heartening for me and uh-huh, uh-huh. they'll answer any question that anyone has. Yeah. Yeah. You have so many good reviews for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible. Well, I'm just, I love it. I love that you are willing to share your knowledge with everyone and just, you know, you've worked really hard and you've, you've built yourself a really amazing career and business and it's awesome. It's really great to see. So thank you for sharing all of your knowledge with us. And, and you're really easy to listen to as well. You have such, you have such a pleasant <laughs> voice and like beautiful accent. So that helps. I, I worked on it all my life, Nikki, <laughs> all my life. <laughs> uh, when, when did you move from England to New York? 2014. 2014, so six, so almost seven years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Six and a half. To, yeah, I've been coming back and forth, but you need to get the visa and everything to do it properly, you know. And, right, um, right. Yeah. Uh, I hear that's no fun. Yeah, I love it here. I love it here. Well, good, good. We're glad to have you here, so it works out. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you. I have a couple questions for you that I always ask people at the end of each episode, so I'm wondering if I can ask you those. Yeah. Okay, number one, what is something you can't live without when you're doing a photo shoot? Ooh, this is going to sound super promotional, but it's really (laughs) true. I love the Elenchrome lights that I have, the mm-hmm. Elenchrome ELB 500. Mm-hmm. I use it in the studio and on location, and I combine that with either a Fotex soft lighter or an, a Rotolux 100 centimeter deep dish. It's like an Octobox. And it's like the setup that I just use everywhere, in the studio, on location, whatever. And it's so light and it's so mobile. My, when I'm working with an assistant, they love it because they can hold it easily. And it just... Yeah, it just sings. Cool. Sounds super, like, after telling you how untechnical I am, it's probably <laughs> the most technical answer you're going to get. Yeah, but it's okay. I mean, it's okay to have lights that you love, of course. And I love that you said they're yeah. easy to hold and that sort of thing. That's important. That's so important. Yeah. Yeah, I've had, like, lights crash down because they're very heavy and mm-hmm. mute, thousands of dollars of damage. And Yeah. Yeah. You know what happened to me yesterday? The first time ever I dropped my camera body, just crashing to the cement. Yeah, it sucked. Luckily, my camera seems okay. My lens is not okay. It's not focusing properly, so I can only focus with it in manual. I mean, luckily, I have a lot of other lenses, but that sucked. There's nothing like watching a, you know, $3,500 piece of, you know, equipment just hit the pavement. (laughs) <laughs> Why do we become photographers with this huge capital investment? Uh, it's a mess. <laughs> seriously. I'm sorry, Nikki. The worst. Anyway. Okay, number two. How do you spend your time when you aren't working? Uh, 2020 or before? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have been really lucky to combine travel with a lot of the personal work that I do. And I have to say, for a long time, I think my mind was pretty single track focused on photography Mm -hmm. but I'm a genuinely curious person so if you think about like my story about geology I'm really curious about geology not to the point of getting a PhD but that applies to many many subjects so my portrait like the personal projects I do are always driven by another interest that I might have you know just digging into archaeology conservation like now I'm really digging into this project called the Billion Oyster Project, where they're planting, essentially growing oysters in New York City Harbor and then the bay to clean the water, 
because they filter gallons and gallons of water a day, and it's improving the water quality in New York. So those really? kind of things they all kind of tie into each other. That's yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I go snowboarding, traveling. Like, we, yeah, it's all sorts of. I love being outdoors. I go biking. I read a lot. That kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. But uh, most of my life is photography. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, number three, what's your favorite inspirational quote? I've posted this one in my Facebook group, Lighting with Felix Kunz, a couple of times. It's Ira Glass. He said about, it's a fairly long, but I'm going to read it out, okay? Go for it. Nobody tells this to people who are beginners. I wish someone told me. All of us who do creative work, we get into it because we have good taste. But there's this gap. For the first couple of years, you make stuff. It's just not that good. Definitely applies to me, right? It's trying to be good, it has potential, but it's not. But your taste, the thing that got you into the game, is still killer. And your taste is why your work disappoints you. A lot of people never get past this phase. They quit. Most people I know who do interesting creative work went through years of this. We know our work doesn't have the special thing that we want it to have. We all go through this. And if you are just starting out, or you are still in this phase, you've got to know it's normal. And the most important thing you can do is to do a lot of work. Put yourself on a deadline so that every week you will finish one story. I think he's talking about writing. It is only by going through a volume of work that you will close that gap and your work will be as good as your ambitions. And I took longer to figure out how to do this than anyone I've ever met. It's going to take a while. It's normal to take a while. You're just going to fight your way through, Ira Glass. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, that's some serious, solid advice right there, because it, it is. It's so true. We all yeah. go through some sort of transition and growing pain and wanting things to be better. And if you stop, then what's the point? I mean, you, you'll never get to where you want to be. Yeah, and the disappointment we feel in ourselves is because our taste and our skill are not matched. Mm-hmm. And I, and then I'll add to that, that I realized for myself, I hope that that never becomes matched because you always want to have something to have ambition towards, right. to strive right. towards. Right. Yeah. yeah. Great point. Well, I think this ties into the next question is what would you say to people who are just getting started? I mean, I just feel like that's such solid advice for people who are just getting started, but would you want to add anything else? So Sue always talks about her inspiration from Mario Testino. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to take inspiration from some of the old masters, not just the people that are teaching in the photo industry. Make sure your taste level exceeds your skill always. Keep going. And then there was one other thing I wanted to say, which is, oh, yeah, setting principles for yourself, having things where you will not let your integrity be lessened. Mm-hmm. Even early on, you know the things that you value. Keep those things. It's so important. And I, I, I know Sue has the self-value talks, and I love them because one of the things that I really did in my early career, and I did it out of arrogance, is I was like, this: I'm worth a certain amount of money. And why are you not paying me that day rate? And I remember always asking for more money, and you'd always get a little bit more if you asked for it. Mm-hmm. And... Those kind of principles are so important, even when it doesn't seem to make sense. We talked about the the payment, you know, like the thing of me, I wanted to do jobs and I was happy to do things that would build my 
my portfolio, but I just wanted to be paid a little bit for it. Those kind of things are principles that have carried me very far. And that mm-hmm. works for me. It might not work for somebody else, but you got to define those for yourself. And I find that I'm still living by those values all these years later. And it's gotten me really far to kind of have, you know, a moral or like a principled approach. Yeah, that's a great way to live. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. Because yeah. at the end of the day, we need to feel good about what transpired that day yeah. and, and how yeah. we were and what we did. And and in the end, that's just so important. Yeah. yeah. Like, I I don't want to tread on anybody, for example, you know, while I'm mm-hmm. moving along and or like be a social climber. These are all things that I take very dearly that all of us have these kind of moral things that things that we would not, yeah, where we would not lessen our integrity. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. All right, last question. Where can we find you if people are looking for you online? My Instagram is at Felix Kunz. That's probably the best place. And that's F-E-L-I-X-K-U-N-Z-E-Z-E. So Kilo Uniform November Zulu Echo. Awesome. And then if you are interested in Felix's lighting series courses, Mm theportraitmasters.com, that's where you will find them. And it's under photography classes. And again, people have such amazing things to say about Felix constantly. So highly, highly recommended. Yeah, I think people should start at thelightingseries.com. That's an easy one to remember. Oh, well, there you go. Thelightingseries.com. It redirects to the Portrait Masters website, but it gets you right there. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Felix, for taking time out. And hopefully 2020 ends on a high note because, you know, (laughs) hopefully we can get back to travel and just all of the things and, you know. I'm just going to (laughs) sigh. I know. I know. Nikki, thank you for wonderful questions. Always so interesting chatting with you. Yeah, yeah, of course. I love that you'll, like, get deep with me. (laughs) (laughs) You bring it out in me. Good, good. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you again, and I will hopefully see you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today to the Portrait System Podcast. If you like what you heard, we would really love for you to leave us a five-star review, either on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And I really, really want to encourage you to head over to SueBriceEducation.com. Over there, you can find all of the education you need to become a successful photographer. It's only $35, and there are over 1,000 on-demand educational videos on things like posing, lighting, styling, retouching, shooting, marketing, sales, business, and self-value. There's also the 12-week startup program that I love, and there are posing downloads, lighting downloads, I mean truly everything to help make you not only a better photographer, but to make you more money. Once again, that's SueBriceEducation.com.